Well, good morning again and welcome to Cottage Church. It's a special uh, morning to be at, uh, at church with our stars and, and all that, so it's a good day. The title for the sermon this morning is the rather whimsical Families and How to Survive Them. Now, family life is easy, isn't it? Not a cloud on that horizon. Well, Psalm 128 helps us with this. You'll find it on page 518 in the Pew Bibles, 518, and it's in front of you in the bulletin as well. Let me just introduce uh, this, uh, this psalm for us in this way before we actually read it. Calvin as in the cartoon Calvin and Hobbes, not, not John. Calvin uh, was, uh, and what a great cartoon, by the way. Uh, Calvin was once being taken on a family vacation by his dad and mum. It was his dad's idea, though. And uh, neither his uh, mum nor Calvin himself was particularly enthusiastic. Dad's vision for this family vacation was to go to the middle of nowhere, the great outdoors, to take a tent, to paddle in a canoe, and experience nature. Calvin was more interested in his Game Boy, or whatever was the equivalent at the time, and so, uh, and his mum wasn't very enthusiastic either. But dad got them to go, and they went, and it rained. It rained every day, hard. Dad uh, remained chipper. Oh, it's fun, a little bit of rain, and never did anyone any harm. It rained when they cooked, it rained when they went fishing. It rained when they attempted to start a fire. It rained constantly. Dad smiled. He tried to get everyone else in the family to smile. But in the end, even Dad's enthusiasm ran out. It was eroded by the rain. And so he started to pack up early from this family vacation. He thundered like the thunder clouds above under his breath. And he packed the tent up and all their stuff, sodden now, of course, into the canoe with a final mutter under his breath. Everything was stowed finally away. And then the sun came out. It's a great series of cartoons. Now, family life can be good, of course. We all know that. But even at the best of times, family life has its ironies. And you see, this psalm is helping us with the whole subject of families. It's not here, as you look down at this psalm, it's not just a series of how-to tips, how to do this, how to do that. You can get that sort of information in books and online, and 
Much of it is helpful. But this psalm is not just that. It has something bigger, something deeper to say. It's talking about how you cannot simply just listen to how-to tips, like the moral equivalent of bringing an umbrella with you when it rains, but actually moving from surviving families to the sun coming out and thriving as a family. So let's turn now to God's Word, and as we... uh, cast our eyes down to the text together. Let's pray. Father, help us to believe your word this morning and so receive the blessing that is on offer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So my friends, let's uh, listen then to the word of God. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Now, of course, this is a very perfect vision of family life. It seems rather idyllic. And inevitably, we contrast this vision of family life that is religious in some sense, fears the Lord, with perhaps our own experiences. One person said, I was a disappointment to my father. He wanted a son. He never hugged me, praised me, or told me he loved me. I realized he was a product of his generation, and I have forgiven him, but my self-esteem is very low. She carried on, I am 85 years old. So whether we are a parent or a child, a young child or a grown-up child, family, the good, the bad, and the ugly, influences us. And when we look at this and it says, if you have these spiritual values, this fear of the Lord thing, whatever that is, and we'll consider that in a moment, then it turns out this way, perhaps our experience doesn't match that. Maybe it's not bad or ugly, but it certainly was not perfect. Well, then family can be sheer good fun as well, can't it? 
I'm reminded of Mark Twain, who was once asked, can you uh, give me a single biblical passage that forbids polygamy? And he responded quickly with humor, as he was wont to do. Certainly, he said, here's a biblical passage that forbids polygamy. No man shall serve two masters. (laughs) So family, the good, the bad, and the funny. The sheer funny experience of real life. Of diapers that explode in your face. Of the grown-up child who cracks a joke and you think, that's my boy. That's good stuff, isn't it? But then here's this ideal, this idyllic vision. And is this passage really saying that if we follow these rules, then this will be the result? And so as we get into this, I want to remind us for just a second that the Bible understands that family is not always ideal and that God can still use that experience for his great glory. Think of Abraham and Sarah or King David. God used those situations. So there is on offer this morning a blessing for those who will fear the Lord who will take on board this vision of family life to move us closer to the ideal, to move us closer from simply surviving family to a thriving family life. Now look down with me at this passage, and I think you'll see that it's pretty obviously split into two sections. So you can see, can't you, verses 1 to 4, describe this ideal family that fears the Lord. They describe what it is like to fear the Lord. So verse 1 says, doesn't it, that those, everyone who fears the Lord, what are they like? They walk in His ways. So a God-fearing person and a God-fearing family is someone who walks in God's ways, who follows what God teaches. As Jesus says, This is the one who loves me, the one who obeys my commands. Now, that's a great encouragement to us because perhaps we come from a religious background, a so-called God-fearing background, but it was not the experience of Psalm 128. Well, the Bible defines for us what it means to fear the Lord, and what it means is to walk in His ways. That is what this passage is talking about. So the first four verses are describing this picture of a true God-fearing family and how blessed, how fruitful that is. And then five to six, the attention is turned, verses one to four, they're saying to each other, look, will you believe this? Will you believe that if you truly fear the Lord, if you follow His ways, if you walk in His ways, then this fruitfulness will be the result. That's verses 1 to 4. And then verses 5 to 6, the attention is turned from us, if you like, to God and saying, Lord, bless. So verses 1 to 4 is asking us to believe this vision of families that are not simply to be survived but can thrive under God's blessing. 
And then five to six is actually looking to God for that blessing. So we need to believe this vision, one to four. And then when we get to five to six, the call there is to receive God's blessing. The ancient church sometimes described this approach the Bible consistently takes to marriage when it was arguing against the pagan approach to marriage, which was by and large of a rather lower kind, by using two words, fides, et, and sacramentum. Fides being faith, sacramentum, sacredness. And so in marriage, there's a blessing to believe, to believe that there is fruitfulness, that there will be fruit of the labor of your hands, that work, career, doing well in business, in academia, the fruits of the labor of your hands, that's not opposite to a traditional family model. To believe that, the fruit of the labor of your hands, you shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. He's saying, will you believe this? To believe that home life will be a fruitful vine. That to give your life to the home environment is organic, vine, fruitfulness, life. As we are connected to God, the source of all life, then his life flows through us. Fruitfulness, abundance, joy, not repression. Fruitfulness. Will you believe that? A fruitful vine and then children will be like olive shoots. Uh, Perhaps the image of olive shoots is not as obvious to us as fruitful vine. The point of olive shoots is that when you cut them down, they grow up again very quickly we might say your children are growing like weeds. Slightly less positive image, but the same point. They're just springing up everywhere. Life, abundance, joy. That's what's on offer to believe that and then five to six to receive that blessing when we get to that part of the passage. So I want you to see that structure. I want you to see what it's saying. As we consider now the first half, the blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, the psalmist is saying that to us, will you enter into this? Will you walk in his ways? Will you believe that if you do, there'll be fruitfulness, there'll be thriving? Will you live your life with reference to God and therefore because of who he is with reverence? fear, not the trembling fear that thinks, I don't want to go anywhere near him, but the true fear because of who God is that says, I want to follow him, that awesome trembling reverence of God, will you follow him as a disciple of Jesus? Will you believe that this will lead to abundance in work at home for your children, for you as a child if you are? a child of parents and not yet married. Now, I want to hold that out to you, and I want to 
explain in just a moment what an important thing it is to enter into that vision that we have here by contrast to the common vision that is presented to us these days in our culture. I think it was James Dobson who said, uh, the other man's grass may be greener, but it still needs mowing. And I'm just going to enter in for a moment to this issue, because in a congregation this large, there are bound to be one or two men, one or two women, who are looking at their neighbor's grass with longing. Adulterous affairs are a mirage, a cruel lie. They're like a man dying of thirst in the desert who sees a mirage of an oasis and uses his last strength to get to that oasis and finds it is a mirage. Here's what always happens. Affairs begin with excitement and a thrill, otherwise they would not begin. But soon enough, what always happens is one day she has a headache. The bills need to be paid, and he doesn't feel like doing that. And you will look back and wish you had decided to stay for the children. Actually, there's some research a little while ago done by Cambridge University that showed that children of divorced parents are damaged more by the divorce than by their death. Now, I don't mean that to discourage you if you are the child of divorced parents or if that is in your past. There is a new beginning on offer. God loves to take broken things and make them whole through the work of His Spirit to receive the Word. I'm saying that to put a strong barrier in front of those who are facing temptation. We believe that that way, as the Bible says, is just like scooping fire into your lap. You will get burnt. But it's more than simply the individual sort of temptation that our culture presents to us these days and more and more opportunities for that sort of fantasy lifestyle that is a cruel mirage. It's the whole approach of Western society that has been influenced to do away with the traditional model of marriage, saying it is not a place of fruitfulness, it is a place of repression. We need to contrast that and deal with that so that more and more of us can be what uh, Agatha, have you heard Agatha Christie, what she said was the ideal husband? According to her, an ideal husband is the archaeologist. The older she gets, the more interested he is in her. So we don't live in the fantasy world, we live in the world of commitment. And believing at the end of life, as at the beginning, this is the place of fruitfulness, children's children. But to do that, we need to counteract the pressure of our cultural environment that is saying this sort of thing is not the case and to realize that its argument is a lie. One way to do that is just to look at the facts. Harvard sociologist Carl Zimmerman in his book uh, called Family and Civilization, it was written as long ago as 1947, he predicted 
And uh, his book is not as well known as it should be, given he was a Harvard eminent sociologist. But he predicted as long ago as 1947 what would be the inevitable social decay resulting from undermining traditional models of families. He had a series of 11 steps. You can look at the book and read them and find they are remarkably prophetic. Things like marriage, when it loses its sacredness, leads to the traditional meaning of the marriage ceremony being lost, which leads to increasing public disrespect for parents, acceleration of juvenile delinquency, growing acceptance of other models of relationship, and even increasing crimes and sex perversions. Is that where we are? Not entirely, but you can feel the pull, the yank of our culture in that direction. Edward Gibbon, in his classic work, The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, had a very similar list of culturally decaying, decadent, one leading to the other in a downward series of steps, similar list of factors. The undermining of the dignity and sanctity of the home would lead to, he said, analyzing this past culture and looking ahead, increasing taxes and spending of public money for bread and circuses, and we could insert the equivalent, mad craze for pleasure with sports becoming more exciting and more brutal, the building of gigantic armaments where the real enemy is the moral decadence of the people, and then the decay of religion with faith fading into a mere form. Now, those of you who are historians will know that Edward Gibbon is hardly the poster child for evangelicalism, and yet he observed that tendency. And I'm just laying that out to you because I want to show you that this idea that we can reinvent our sexuality, that we can reinvent the model of families, and that has no impact on Western civilization is simply wrong. And that instead, this vision of abundance for the family, then for Zion, God's people, then for Jerusalem, God's people, for children upon children, the progress of the gospel, this vision is actually true. And so the psalmist is asking you to invest in that, to believe in that. Now, you may say, we're in Wheaton. And we're hardly likely to be tempted towards a radically postmodern attitude to family. What's the phrase I've heard going the rounds at Christian colleges? A ring by spring? Or the joke someone told me the other day. What do Christian colleges and shoes have in common? Answer, you go in a heel, you get a new sole, and you come out a pair. So I understand we're living in a different kind of world to some extent, but we need to realize, as sociologist Mark Regnus has developed in a contemporary way at Texas University, that with only 43% of American undergraduates today being men, And as much as 63% then of elite zip codes in Manhattan, and probably the same is true in some areas of Chicago, there's increasing pressure towards cohabitation. 
And what that leads to is since 1971, the income of American young men has declined by 21%. In other words, men are motivated by the desire to provide and to protect and to procreate. And when that desire is removed or no longer connected to family and society, what happens is our young men become so horizontal they are laid back. And if that doesn't persuade you to commit to the traditional model of marriage, consider this. The Journal of Marriage and Family discovered that those who live together before they get married are actually less likely to stay together. Just presenting these facts to you because I want you to believe this. Not a list this morning of how-to tips for relational dynamics, but actually in your hearts to enter into the truth that this is the place of abundance for work, for home, for children. I want you to see that now. Having done that, I want us to look at verses 5 to 6 as we come to the end of the psalm. So you remember the structure. Verses 1 to 4 is saying, look, this is what it's like. This is the description. Will you believe this? Will you enter into this? It's an appeal, if you like. And then verses 5 to 6, look up and say, the Lord bless you from Zion. So we've had fides, the faith. Now we have the sacredness the sacramentum. We're looking up to God to bless us in our marriages. Now, this is not saying that all marriages and families that follow the Christian principles are perfect. I want to share with you a fictional Christmas letter I got from the perfect family. Dear Dr. Moody, our year has been an eventful one. Simon, age nine, is now emerging from a disappointing stage where he narrowly missed getting into Oxford University and has had to deal with the reality of realizing that he might only get a Fulbright scholarship at age 10. Angela, age seven, has had to choose between a tour with the Chicago Symphony Orchestra in Europe and going to the Olympics on the U.S. gymnastics team. So pray for wisdom for her. She cannot make this trying decision. William, age 12, has been awarded the youth group Mr. Humility Prize, (laughs) which he refused out of consideration for the feelings of his friends, but was persuaded to accept the most humble person in the church award because he thought it would be vanity to turn that down as well. In other words, this is not saying that here is a recipe for the perfect marriage. This is not a list of how to steps. Follow this and all will be okay. We live in a broken world. There is brokenness in our families and in our marriages, in relationships between parents and children, husbands and wives. It is holding out to us a vision, verse 1 to 4, to enter into, to invest And a vision of God's blessing that actually family is sacred turf. Marriage is a sacramentum. It is a sacredness in that sense of that word. If you know enough Latin, you will know the connections I am making and not making. That family is a sanctuary. 
The whole story of the Bible, you've got to read verses 5 to 6 in the light of that. Began in a garden, love was rejected. It was one again in a different garden called Gethsemane. And finally, there will be a marriage in heaven. And our families are that sacred message. Your marriage is that place of sacredness. It is a hot spot, if you like, in reality. It is a zone of sacramentum, a zone of sacredness where the Lord's blessing resides if you walk in His ways. It sends a message. Now, I know that all families are not perfect and we can struggle with these things. And even if we believe and ask for God's blessing on our families in this way and understand how that connects in a sacred space, reality does not mean that life is always easy. For instance, John Wesley, famed evangelist of the 18th century, became romantically embroiled with a woman who helped when he sprained his ankle. Mrs. Mary Vazier was a widow with seven children. They fell in love. They got married in haste, and they repented at leisure. She actually gave certain personal letters of Wesley's to his enemies. One time, she even dragged him across the floor by his hair. Wesley concluded that at least his unhappy home life encouraged him to not mind traveling away from home for the gospel. And if that has a touch of irony about it, consider the bigger picture. What that means is that, in other words, a bad family experience could still mean the greatest awakening the world has ever seen. In other words, this is not saying if you follow this, it will be perfect. It is saying follow this so that there will be abundance for you, for your children, for your children's children. The Lord bless you from Zion, that is God's people, Zion, now and forever. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem, that is God's people, now and forever. May you see your children's children now and in ongoing generations, that the fight of believing the truth of verses 1 to 4, of receiving the blessing of the sacredness of family life, goes to the ends of the earth, and it's for the progress of the gospel. Not a list of how-to steps. Instead, the biggest step of all to enter into the truth of what the Bible is saying about family life. Resist the lies that are constantly thrown at us. That real thriving is living without any family commitments and instead to invest in that place, to receive, receive the blessing of God, the sacredness, the fides et sacramentum, to believe the truth, resist the lies, and receive God's blessing.
For you? Yes, for you and your family and your children's children. But blessing from Zion and from Jerusalem for the progress of the gospel all around the world when it is tough at night and it is an argument that you need now to step away from and be silent about. And to say the two most important words of family life because of the gospel, I am sorry I forgive you. To have that blessing of the gospel in your family and so to move forward in abundance, in fruitfulness. A fruitful vine, olive shoots, the fruit of the labor of your hands. Peace. Wrought at Calvary. And the message of that great sacrifice being worked out by you in your family. If you're single, in the family of the church. Let's pray together. If you uh, could uh, take your Bibles or look at the, uh, the bulletin. And keep them open at Psalm 128. It is not my words, it is this word by the Holy Spirit that needs to enter in. Verses 1 to 4 are asking you, will you believe this? Will you believe that those who truly walk in the fear of the Lord, not just saying they are God-fearers, but actually obeying Jesus' commands because they love Him. Such people will have fruitful labor even when it is hard and difficult at times. Such people will have fruitful home life. The children of such an environment will grow up like weeds, like olive shoots, in abundance and joy. That this is the blessed life, the thriving life. Will you believe this? Will you resist the lies that say that uncommitted sexuality is thriving and realize it is a mirage, a cruel mirage, and accept this word of God And will you receive the power of God to live that way by His Holy Spirit? The Lord bless you from Zion in the context of the church, whether single now or temporarily, in the family life of the church. All the days of your life, the prosperity of Jerusalem, God's people, the progress of the gospel, children's children, whether you're genetic children or spiritual progeny receive that blessing that is really about the final marriage in heaven which we in this sacred space of family get to work out point towards and preach about every single waking moment. Will you receive that blessing, the power of Jesus Christ?
and believe the truth. Father, help us to take that biggest step of all this morning. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.